Hello and welcome back to the Great Outdoors and Travel Podcast. I'm your host, Eric. Today I had the opportunity to sit down with Greg Lovatis. He's the owner of High Hopes Balloon Company here in Rochester. Uh, they provide hot air balloon rides for people in the area. Um, Greg's been involved with hot air balloons since 1978. And in this episode, we talk about everything about hot air balloons, how to get involved, and some of his uh, adventures over the years. Um, some of the highlights are going over Niagara Falls and actually landing in a nudist camp. So I hope you enjoy and thanks for listening. Hello, Greg. Uh, welcome to the Great Outdoors and Travel Podcast. I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me. Thanks, Eric. Nice to meet you and thanks for asking me to join. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, are you from this area originally, or did you get drawn to New York for a specific reason? I was born in Rochester, and I grew up in Rochester, and I'll probably die in Rochester as well. Um, <laughs> okay. My family's here, so uh, that was uh, that was uh, why I'm here. It's not the uh, best place in the world to go ballooning. We certainly have uh, our highlights and great views and places to fly around here, but our season is really short compared to other places in the world and uh, we get a lot of weather off the Great Lakes and wind which uh, don't really um, help us ballooning too much when it's a breezy day but uh, we the months that we do have uh, in our normal season uh, it's a really sweet place to fly. Yeah absolutely yeah being in the Finger Lakes region you know we have we, we do have a lot to be grateful for but right. yes the season is short so yeah being an owner of a hot air balloon company um, you know just what is the name of the company and um, kind of how did you get in into it? Because it is kind of a niche. Well, I, um, you get into it, you sort of put your leg over the basket and that's how you get into <laughs> it. But No, actually, I uh, won a ride when I was uh, in high school. I grew up in around Decoit and um, they had a 4th of July celebration uh, back in 1978. Now, ballooning actually was still pretty fairly new, modern ballooning hot air ballooning and uh, back then. So there were very few balloons even back then, uh, less than there are now. And um, so they had a 4th of July festival at my uh, hometown and uh, they had a raffle for a free balloon ride. And I sort of was interested in aviation to begin with. And I was thinking about pursuing a helicopter license, but then I realized you have to either join the military or pay $1,500 an hour for lessons, so it probably right. wasn't going to happen. Uh, but I ended up winning a uh, raffle for a hot air balloon on the 4th of July, 1978, from Aranda and I took off, and we flew uh, after a quick touchdown at St. Anne's home to let a passenger out. We uh, took off again and landed uh, over the city at 490 and Goodman Street, pretty much, in Clinton Avenue, and uh, coincidentally in a field my father owned. And um, the fire trucks were there. They thought we were crashing. They saw the flame and thought we were on fire. And it was a great fun when you're in high school. So I ended up uh, crewing for the uh, pilot that I won the ride from and didn't have a driver's license yet, so I was riding my bike sometimes chasing balloon and uh, ended up uh, getting my balloon license for my driver's license. Okay, wow, interesting. Still working on that driver's license. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, w you know, with ballooning, you are, you mentioned earlier on, you're kind of restricted to what the weather does, right? You know, you can't control it per se, like what direction you want to go. Yeah. Um, people, I, I do give balloon rides. I um, got my first balloon um, I think it was like 83, okay. and uh, I call it High Hopes Balloon Company. Hopesballoon.com is the website, and I do offer rides. 
But when people call for rides, it's not like booking an airplane ride. You're not going to like, oh, I want. I, I get calls all the time for people, oh, I'm getting married, and can you pick me up and fly over the city and land at the church? No, we can't do that. You want a helicopter for that. Uh, first of all, it's very weather dependent. So the only time that we schedule a ride is either first thing in the morning or late afternoon. We want to do it when it's the calmest and the less likelihood for thermals. So that's when the sun is lowest on the horizon. So we fly like at 6 in the morning or 6 in the evening, depending on the time of the uh, year, but uh, pretty much at sunrise and a couple hours before sunset. And um, we get the balloon ready, and if it's, uh, we want it to be less than like 8 miles an hour or so to fly. Um, so if the, it might look like a nice clear day, but if the tops of the trees are blowing, that's a little too windy for us. In the evening, it tends to die down as the sun sets. In the morning, it tends to pick up as the sun rises. The sun heats the earth and creates thermals and wind, and um, that's why the wind picks up as it gets like, you know, 2, 3, 4 in the afternoon is the windiest time of day, typically. So um, uh, people, first of all, don't know that they can't just hop in a balloon and, and fly away at noon or whatever they want whenever they want to go. Uh, so we schedule two times of the day, and it's got to be good conditions for flying. So we don't want thunderstorms anywhere in western New York, even if it's not raining where you are. Right. But we could get outflows for down and drowned drafts and things like that. So um, we don't want to get the balloon wet. And also, um, um, you know, direction is a factor, too, around here. If you're, you're not going to take off in Hamlin or around Detroit when the wind's out of the south because you're going to go over the lake, and then what? So... Um, there are a lot of things to look at, and there are times we, uh, about, I'd say, half the time we have to reschedule just because it's, you know, not the best day to go flying. It's sort of nature's way to um, tell you to stay on the ground. If it's very breezy, uh, it's really hard to inflate the balloon to begin with. We have a large fan, a motorized gasoline-powered fan that we fill up the balloon with, uh, regular cold air, and uh, it's larger than a house usually, maybe about 100,000 cubic feet. And um, when it's large enough, uh, we put the heat and a flame in, and it stands the balloon up. It's about seven, eight stories tall. So it's a large thing. If you, next time you see a balloon there, just realize, you know, there's a six-foot person in that basket underneath it, and then you'll see how really large they are. Right. Um, uh, if it's breezy, what happens, it acts like a sail. So it caves in one side of the wind. The wind caves in one side of the balloon, and it's very hard to put that flame in without catching the fabric. It's not going to blow up but it's going to put a melt hole in it and uh, it's also could pull your vehicle or whatever you're tied off to uh, as a large you know uh, 70 foot sail so um, like I said sort of nature's way to tell you to stay on the ground now once you get it inflated the passengers hop in and you put some more heat into it and then you go fly off and once you're in the air it doesn't really matter how windy it is um, because you're moving with the wind so you don't even feel the wind when you're moving uh, with the wind, because you're moving with the wind. So okay, if, you have a, if you have a tissue, um, you can put that tissue on the basket, um, and on the uh, edge of the basket, and it's not even going to blow off because you're moving with the wind. So okay. uh, um, that's uh, uh, kind of a, a weird experience people don't understand, but it's not like the movies where the basket's swaying and your hair's blowing and all that. That doesn't happen usually. And um, anyway, so what happens when you land, if it's breezy, you're going as fast as the wind is. So if the wind happens to pick up, you're at 15 miles an hour, which is a lot for a balloon. Uh, you're going to go uh, land, and then the basket's going to tip over, and you're going to go for a little drag until the balloon stops. So usually right when we're touching the ground, I'm deflating the balloon if it's that breezy. That happens like once every, once, like 5% of the time, so once okay. out of 20 flights. So we have a breezy landing like that, and usually we know ahead of time that might happen. Um, but normally it's a very soft 
maybe like jumping off a step stool or a couple of steps, just a little plop, uh, one or two or three plops, and then you're it. You're standing there, the balloon's um, still inflated, and the crew comes and helps you um, deflate and get you back home. Okay. And with your baskets, um, they're baskets, right? Is mm-hmm. that what they're called? Yep. Okay, not cockpits. They're gondolas or baskets. Gondolas yep. or baskets. Yep. Still okay. made of wicker, yep. Okay. Is there a reason they're made out of wicker and not some other form of, you know, metal or... The first balloon actually I I learned in was fiberglass and aluminum basket, and that didn't give very well. So when you have one of those windy landings, you sort of have a mark on your knee or whatever afterwards. But but wicker is traditional. Uh, The first balloonist used wicker. It's lightweight, and it's a good shock absorber. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, too. It was like a shock absorber. It's not just wicker. I mean, there's some, uh, you know, metal that's... A uh, little structure inside or whatever, so you know you're not just uh, reliant upon some twigs, but it's uh, it's right. a little. And, the, and these are aircraft, so they are inspected every year by the FAA. Okay. So. Okay. And is it per hour? Is it like annually that they have to be inspected? An annual inspection is the same as an air, airplane, um, so it's a hundred hours or a year, whichever comes first. Okay. We tend not to. I mean, I personally don't tend to get a hundred hours in a year around here. So okay. if we get twenty-five or thirty, we're lucky. Uh, I am anyway. I'm mostly flying the weekends, and um, so um, you know that'll. So basically, once a year, I have to get my balloon inspected. That's an issue too, because there are fewer people doing this, and not many places that do a good inspection and so I would have to go to like Vermont or oh, Allentown, wow. Pennsylvania to get it inspected. So it's a it's a little bit of a and you know it's a little bit of a, a chore to do that now. Yeah, yeah. You don't think of all those little things, you know, mm. of important things, but yeah. <laughs> logistically, yeah. you know, because it is such a niche. Um, yeah. how with these baskets I've seen different sizes. Um, how many can typically fit in a balloon? That determines the size of the actual fabric part of the balloon. So the okay. more you carry, the bigger you have to have, the, the more volume you have to have to, to lift. So there are some balloons that just carry uh, the pilot with no basket even. You sit on a little like like um, sling and you have feet are dangling underneath with a propane tank on your back and those oh, are called cloud hoppers. <laughs> those are just made from one. And there are balloons that take 30 people. and. Uh, the trend now, actually, and especially in resort areas, are to have these huge balloons that can take 10 or more people. Okay. And it's good if you're collecting the paycheck, I guess. But I guess it's not so. great for the crew or whatever. And it's, it is a little different. It's like, I mean, I've had a, I've had flown with like 12 passengers before and bigger balloons. And it's not quite the same. There's like four, four conversations going on at once. And people are right. saying, look at the deer. And you can't even see over the side of the basket on that side. So I, I prefer just to, and the balloon I have now, I just pretty much do private flights for two plus myself and it's it's a lot more uh intimate with just uh you know you can have a conversation it's quiet when you're not talking and you can see the deer and uh it's a little little less chaotic so it's uh uh, not as profitable as the larger ones but uh, it's not as expensive either so right right one one question does come up when i was talking to people about doing this is is ballooning safe like uh there's is there inherent risks with anything we do right but um you know there's you don't see people up there with parachutes on. <laughs> yeah, well, you basically have a large um, parachute over your head. Right, so if the right. burner were to go out, uh, if you ran out of gas, you, technically you're coming down as fast as a parachute. So you don't want to land in a substation or something. But that right. the biggest the biggest um, danger when we fly is uh, our power lines. And so if you're not, and power lines can be hard to, to see. Right. You probably figure you figure they're on the roads, 
and things. Uh, and wires are leading from the roads to the houses a lot. But where and I always tell my passengers, feel free to point out power lines because you know six eyes are better than two. So if you uh, right. happen to see one, even if you think you see one, let me know. I've never had an encounter with one. Fortunately, I have seen people hit power lines. Sometimes they're fine. Sometimes they're not. So, um, uh, but uh, when and, and when you do hear of a balloon accident, they are pretty rare. But uh, nowadays, they're also usually filmed because people are always out there with their phones. Right. So normally, if there's an accident, you're going to see it on TV, even if it's in Australia or whatever. And uh, um, so. Um, that's the biggest fear I have when I fly is power lines. So I respect them, and we usually like to fly over those, but obviously we have to land. Um, we also have to abide by aircraft rules, so visibility is a big issue. So we don't want to fly in the fog where we can't see things. Right. We don't fly at night as a rule. Uh, technically, we can if we uh, we need uh, aircraft light and we you know have spotlights and things, uh, but I've never done that. But um, but uh, you know you want good visibility and, uh, and we're flying out in the country. There are power lines obviously everywhere, but right. there you know there aren't as many as you know, flying over an urban area. Um, other than that, the big danger I think would be just like maybe a twisted ankle or something if you have a really rough landing. Um, mm-hmm. I've never had anyone. Um, injured in, in a basket, um, so it's um, you know I've, I've been flying for since '78, so it's like 43 years now, so okay. something like that. So, okay. um, so I've been uh, fortunate, but uh, then again, um, you know, there's many times where I've been on the ground and some, at a festival maybe, and it's like a little too windy for me, and other people want to go up, and that's fine, that's your choice. But it's also you know, are you going to take you know your 20 year old relative, or are you going to take like an 85 year old person? So right, you have to also right. determine. The, who's going up and what the nature of the of the event uh, reason for flying is? It's good for a training flight if there's a a pilot trying to get a license. It's good for them to have the experience of flying in the wind. So sometimes you do want to fly when it's windy, right. but but you, you just have to plan ahead and have a general idea where you're going to go. If there's landing spots for you, if it's muddy, if you're going to be able to get the balloon out, that sort of thing. Right. And where do you typically fly out of? Is there a certain location that you like best, or that you just logistically uh, is is the best experience for mm-hmm. your guests? Uh, depends where they are. I give them the option. Uh, we have routine spots. Uh, we like to avoid the city and the lake in the main airport. So right. generally, we're not flying up in Atomic Gates or Greece. Um, norm- <coughs> excuse me. Normally, we're down in uh, Canisius Lake area, Geneseo Avon, or Canandaigua seems to be popular with folks. We fly from uh, where Mercy Flight flies from, the little airport there. Okay. And um, we do fly from people's backyards if they have a big backyard or front yard or some grassy area. Uh, with no power lines going through it, if they want us to come to their house and fly, we can accommodate that as, a, as long as, like I said, we have flown from, I have flown from the shore of Lake Ontario, but we want to make sure that the, the wind's, wind's going yeah. towards the south, not not towards the lake. So that took maybe a, a year to get the right weather conditions and everybody's schedule right. lined up and to do that. But um, I have land, flown in Hamlin, landed on the parkway, in Lake Ontario Beach Parkway. So we have... Um, Flown in some challenging areas, but if the weather's right, we just have to plan ahead of time. But normally, it's not in the country where it doesn't matter which way the wind's blowing. Okay. So, and what kind of altitude do you get up to, or is there like a a special zone that you like to stay within, or? or altitude-wise? I, it sounds strange, but I actually don't like heights too much, so I don't like to. <laughs> Come on. I don't like to to fly. I mean, you normally we fly a thousand feet. Uh, you're going to see all you're going to see, even from Canisius and Canandaigua, you see the skyline of Rochester. Okay. Uh, the higher you go, if it's hazy, you're going to actually see less. So um, sometimes you do go higher if it's a 
pretty calm day. We're not going anywhere just to okay. get a little more wind. We go out find a different um, uh, wind, perhaps at a different altitude. That you know, it's about steering. That's about the only way we can steer. We can go up and down as much as you want by adding or letting it cool down or adding heat. But um, but and sometimes the wind changes at a different direction. So. Uh, we might go up uh, five, six hundred feet, and then all of a sudden get like a little right-hand turn. And, uh, and conversely, when we go down, it might turn left or something like that. But we um, can't really say exactly where we're going to land when we take right, off. Right, right. So we look for a place that's safe. We look for a place that's um, we don't do any damage to the balloon or crop or scare cows or horses, and we'll look for a place that's accessible so we can get the balloon packed up and get on our way again. And um, how do you, this might be a silly question, but how does your guests get back to where they started? I mean, do they walk or do they? Um, uh, usually we have a chase vehicle, okay. uh, chase crew. So they're, every balloon you see in the air has a dedicated group of uh, folks that are following it and helping. So we need help. It's not a solo sport. We need right. help to inflate it. We need help to uh, um, follow the balloon and then ideally if they can ask permission when we land they knock on the door that could be seven in the morning and say hi a balloon landed in your yard can we go get it right and um uh and then we deflate it and pack it up um i usually take them for breakfast or dinner afterwards and uh the, we give the ride uh, the folks a ride back unless they have friends following them as okay well, so. okay usually we're up for about an hour that's about a typical ride an hour in the air and um um, you know, it takes about you know, half hour to inflate it. About depends how much uh, help we have at the end, but about a half hour to deflate it, okay. and then uh, we have a little tailgate celebration afterwards. We have grapes and cheese and crackers, and we pop up with a bottle of champagne or sparkling okay. juice. That tradition uh, started uh, in France. Um, the first people off the earth were in a balloon in 1783. Wow! And they were the first. They're a hundred years before the Wright brothers flew. They were flying balloons in France. So, uh, so the first in flight on the license plates is a little inaccurate. But anyway, the, um, uh, they uh, were flying in France, and they thought the smoke was magic. So they put, like, rotten meat and things that were really smoky into this uh, balloon and went flying. And that's how they flew the first balloons. When they landed, they were mistaken for aliens, and they were attacked by pitchforks a lot. So oh, they started carrying champagne to show that they were French and friendly. And we still do it as a thank you because we... Um, no, you know, farming especially is a really um, challenging uh, uh, livelihood, and uh, you know the you know getting, you know, the weather is very dependent on the crop, and you don't want somebody landing on your corn and everything else. Right. So we try to be very observant of the um, crops in the neighborhood and not try not to scare the cows and horses. But uh, when we land, we do give them a bottle of champagne or sparkling juice still to say thank you because okay. we never know where we're landing. So. Sure, yeah. sure. Now, you said the typical flight's about an hour. How I know probably wind has uh, effect, but how f far of a distance do you go yeah, maybe in about an it, hour? It determines how, you know, how windy right. it is. So we've, there's been times where we landed very rarely, but there's times where we landed where we took off from. And uh, oh, wow. there's been, okay. uh, uh, you know, um, you know, probably an average flight though is like five or ten miles. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So not like fifty or sixty miles. That, no, you know. I have been uh, on a flight. Um, <laughs> I chased a flight during a gas balloon race. Now, gas balloons are a little different. 
They're the ones that you see in TV a lot with the sandbags, and they're all enclosed, okay. and they have a uh, lifting force. We use propane, just like your barbecue, to heat the air inside the balloon. You can look up and see the top of the balloon. It's very open in the bottom. Right. And that's a hot air balloon. A gas balloon has hydrogen or helium in it, and they're closed like a toy balloon. A lot of times they're pure white, like the spy balloon that we saw later. <laughs> right. And um, that's to uh, deflect the, the sun so that they don't expand and pop. Uh, pretty much. But anyway, the uh, gas balloons are pretty rare in the United States um, just because they're um, very expensive per flight. And also the East Coast, uh, you, you put, it might be like $20,000 to inflate a balloon, a helium balloon, okay. if you can get the helium even these days. And um, and when you do that, you want to fly for two or three days, which you can in a gas balloon. But on the East Coast, you can't because you've got the ocean. So uh, there's maybe, you know, 10 uh active balloon uh, gas okay. balloons in the country but they have a race every year in albuquerque and they have the uh, europeans and uh they have a, a global competition often there and uh so one year i think it was 2005 i chased for a german pilot who was pretty well known for uh, winning the gordon bennett cup which is the a very early um uh, balloon race uh from 1910 or something like that they started and uh, so I, his is that son, like the World Cup of ballooning. It is, and okay. uh, Gordon Bennett was a publisher of a newspaper publisher, and he started the Gordon Bennett Cup, and it usually goes to the winner's um, country two years later. So, okay. um, so one year in the, that year is 2005. They had it in Albuquerque, and they had 28 balloons. So I volunteered to chase. So you don't know where you're going to go. You don't know if you're going to what state you're going to end up. They could land in Texas. They could land in Florida. They could usually land in Kansas or Nebraska or something. Oh wow! So I um, volunteered to chase for this balloon, and this, the the pilot's son, 20 years old, never been in the United States before. He came along. We borrowed somebody's truck, and uh, they took off around uh, when it got dark in the evening. And they had a nice ceremony when they lifted off. And the thought is to get a good night's sleep and then go follow them the next day. So we went to their hotels and then came back the next day and went back to the launch field in Albuquerque. And I said, shouldn't we be following your father? You know, he took off last night. He goes, oh, I have his location. He's in a town called Kansas. I said, well, we're not near Kansas. That's another state. So they got some jet stream. They were going like 70 miles an hour. And um, they landed six hours north of Toronto. Oh, so we we followed from those, Albuquerque from Albuquerque oh. nonstop. So we we drove nonstop from Albuquerque up Amarillo through Missouri and Iowa and Wisconsin and and over uh, they had gone over Lake Huron I believe or Lake Superior I think it was, and um, we went and we had our passports. We uh, went into uh, um, Sault Ste. Marie I think is where we crossed in. Okay, we heard they had landed safely. So we were driving nonstop, you know, with one eye open and everything. So we, we finally pulled over in Wawa, Ontario, and slept. And, and then we picked them up the next day. They landed on the last road before nothing and um, near Timmins, Ontario, where okay. I think Shania Twain is from around there. And um, uh, so we picked them up the next day, the, the two pilots that were on board. And we packed them up and then had a six hours drive south to, Toronto, to Niagara Falls. And so I, now I had three Germans, two who crossed in a balloon over like without going through customs. But they had permission to do it. But okay, you know, yeah, I was going to ask thought, you like, about that. Yeah, and, but they had permission, but the you know customs was not involved. And uh, so anyway, we went through Niagara Falls, and uh, I said I'll do the talking, and we got them in. And they had a, a a balloon on the U.S. side at the time. They had a little um, 
ride balloon up and down a helium balloon. So they stopped and saw that. Then they came to Rochester. They spent the night here, and they drove back to New Mexico on their own. And I stayed here. And, oh wow! Uh, right but that was so that was a that was a long flight. They finished second. There was another balloon uh, team from Belgium who went another day, and they landed north of Maine. Oh, so, so they were the winners. So, but anyway, that was a nice adventure. But that's, you know, pretty rare to see a gas balloon on the East Coast. Yeah, and uh, you, you mentioned Niagara Falls. You told me a little story before we met um, about something interesting that happened to you in Niagara Falls um, when you were ballooning. Oh, I did fly with a brink in Niagara Falls, uh, the the Horseshoe Falls. And, okay, uh, that was really hard to. Uh, um, start to do because we needed permission. Once right. this was before 9/11 too, and so I think it was before 9/11. I, I don't forgot what year it was, but anyway, it was uh, um, it was uh, took a couple of years to to set up, and they only let us do it in the morning, and okay. they weren't. We did it from the Canadian side to the U.S. side. So uh, it's sort of where the casino is now on the Canadian side. And uh, okay. there was a nunnery or something. The nuns operated it. So we got permission from them. So we took off and uh, went right across the brink of the falls in the morning. And it was very loud is what I remember. I and I remember the roar of the, the falls shook the whole balloon. It wasn't my knees. I thought it was my knees shaking at first. But it was the whole balloon was shaking from the noise. And I, it was a little breezy, and I remember phys- literally I didn't have a lot of time. I just looked down and said, yep, that's the falls, and that's about what I was okay. able to do. But then it was sort of hazy, too, and there were a lot of power lines in Niagara Falls because they make the power there. Right. So, yeah, I didn't so think of that. When we were, so I found a nice clearing. We didn't fly very long. We fly, probably flew for 20 minutes, and, and that was it. So I said I've done that. And the airspace is also very restricted there because – uh, there was a helicopter collision years before that, oh, wow. and two helicopters collided, and so it's very, very tough to navigate that airspace there. So we've and, done it. In Niagara, and I think there's an Air Force base there, too, and, right? Uh, in, Niagara, in Niagara Falls, I, yeah. Right. So uh, I have no, really no reason to do it again, but it was interesting to do it once. So that was, okay. Yeah. Did, was there any effect on the balloon from the turbulence, I guess? From just the, the noise, from the, the, sh- noise? the shaking of it. The, the whole okay. balloon was shaking, which I never experienced before. So, I mean, we didn't get wet down enough <laughs> to get wet, but it was... It was an unusual experience, yeah. Right, right. Um, what's the strangest place that you maybe landed in or accidentally landed in? Or, um... Well, let's see. Every flight is different, so I'm right. trying to think uh, if... Uh, well, you, you told me story... We landed in you, a nudist camp once. That was the one I was going to... Yeah, there weren't that <laughs> many people around, so we didn't get a good eye of anything, but it was a nudist camp out in near Syracuse. Cicero, I think, somewhere around there. Casanova, okay. maybe. Okay. Um, we did do that. Um, um, I was flying over towards Buffalo, uh, the, near the Pembroke uh, rest stop. Okay. The, and the throughway, there was a house next to it, and so we actually took off there, and we were going towards Buffalo, and I'm coming in for landing. I kept seeing these orange things flying up in front of me, and I didn't know what that was, and I realized it was a they were trap shooting at a gun oh, range. Geez. So we were about to go over that. So that wasn't too interesting. You know, it was lovely, but don't shoot. We're not, you know. So that was, um, but we try and have a, you know, uh, we, there, I don't know. We, 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 I've landed on the shore of uh, the North Shore of Canandaigua Lake right on the beach with a lifeguard. Okay. Um, so we, we, we land in some odd places sometimes. I've landed along 390 a couple times. The first time was when 390 wasn't even finished yet, and so it was open partway and then closed sort of in Livingston County a little bit, and I okay. landed on the one side and then realized, oh, this is 390, and so we had a, like a long 
wait for the truck to come to get us on that one. We landed a couple times uh, because we didn't want to land in the prison down there, so we were going right towards the prison. And um, yeah, you don't want to land down there. The trooper thought that was a better idea to land on the side of the road. So as long as we do <laughs> things safely and that you know we don't obstruct things, I think we're we're okay. So right, right. Um, so you've been doing this a long time. Have you ever had anybody famous or anybody that uh, you, you've met while doing this? Anybody interesting that? Maybe the listeners might know of, or um, we went to the hundredth um, anniversary of the Wright brothers uh, flight in uh, Dayton, Ohio, and they were from Dayton area, and so they were going to have a gas balloon flight, and they had also like fifty hotter regular hotter balloons like I had, and so I went there and. Um, the Wright Patterson Air Force Base, and John Glenn was there, so that was kind of cool okay. to meet him. And then the pre- President Bush actually came. It was the Fourth of July, and that was not announced until the day before. So they actually had to cancel all the airspace because the President was flying in. So the gas balloons never could fly off um, that weekend because the only weather window they had to fly off the airspace was closed. So okay. that was bad. But anyway, John was nice to meet John Glenn. Yeah. Um, I met um, Flip Wilson, which probably half the people don't know who that is, but he was a a uh, funny it's comic. Comedian. Yeah, he yeah. Uh, was hanging around a balloonist from Louisville uh, named Frank Prowl, who had a. There are special shaped balloons too, which a lot of people might not know. Of, but there, there's balloons you can get that are made in the shape of different things. Yeah, I've seen that. You know, from photos from like the the big one in Albuquerque you were talking about. Yeah, there's different. Almost anything you can get a balloon. Yodas and yeah, there's <laughs> Darth Vader, sure. Yeah. And anyway, this Frank Prowl had a standing Santa Claus balloon. Okay. And uh, so Flip Wilson hung around with him and helped him fly it. And so while we were in Albuquerque at the festival, and uh, there's a tram that goes up to the top of Sandia Mountain there. So went up to the mountain, and then on the way down, there's all these, like, the president of the Balloon Federation of America and some of the owners of the companies that made balloons were in the happened to be on this ride and right. Flip Wilson was there as well. So uh, I figured if the thing ever crashed there'd be all these, you know, famous people died and some guy from New York was also killed in the wreckage. <laughs> but but anyway, I collect balloon pins and I okay. tra- I traded Flip Wilson a balloon pin of my balloon and he gave me a a balloon pin of the uh, Santa Claus balloon, but this one was a African American Santa Claus. So okay. that, was, that was kind of funny, I thought. Okay. And who else? Malcolm Forbes. He was a balloonist, and uh, uh, he did a lot for ballooning. He had a lot of these weird shapes. He had an elephant and a sphinx when he went to Egypt, and uh, you know he rode his Harley Motorson, Harley Davidson motorcycles around. Anyway, he uh, he um, met met him at a, in a private event, uh, which was kind of cool. So. I took up, um, not anybody famous, but uh, the highest flight I ever had, I, I happened to uh, be at the Adirondacks, and the wind was going towards um, Lake George, which you don't want to go to the north that long because there's not that much landing spots. So right, right. I wasn't going to fly, but I noticed other pilots were flying, and they were getting a turn going up high. And I said, like, well, that's a good area. Okay, I'll just do that. Well, I didn't realize you had to go to 8,000 feet to do that, so which is more than a mile high. So anyway, right. I, I was up in the air with four ladies, and one of them was Regis Philbin's aunt. And okay. uh, nobody liked to be up that high, but uh, yeah, eight thousand feet, eighty eight, eighty eight hundred is how the highest I've been. Yeah, so okay. You need oxygen after twelve thousand five hundred if you're up for over a half hour. So, uh, but normally, like I said, I don't like flying that high. So normally we're down a thousand or thousand or so feet. Right, right. Now, um, is there? You, you mentioned a couple of associations. Is there ballooning schools that people go to or is it just you know someone like yourself that's willing to take on maybe like an apprentice or something to to get involved with uh, something like this for ballooning uh there's no instructor rating so any commercial pilot that's a balloonist can uh, instruct okay um so i can instruct um there are fewer and fewer schools now around 
Uh, but you do need ground school. You need to pass the FAA test. You need to have some hours you know, to take the written test, the flight test, and the oral test. Um, new this year, beginning in May, you have to have a medical certificate if you're carrying passengers for okay. hire. Um, so that um, is also going to diminish the number of balloons around, I think. But sure. um, but anyway, the um, um, the best way to get into it is uh, to start crewing for just being around a balloon. Um, uh, you will the, the tests involved uh, include airspace and weather, so you pretty much have to know what clouds do and right. when they might form, when fog might form, and the airspace. The airspace around a major airport like Rochester's is like an upside-down wedding cake, so anything like 10 miles around it, or 5 or 10 miles around it, uh, and then it starts getting more restricted the higher you go. So, so if you're flying like twenty thousand feet, which we don't do, normally, yeah, yeah, but yeah. you but you need to have contact radio contact and all that. So, but anyway, you have to know those things to pass your tests. Um, uh, one thing is the, the biggest hindrance though lately to flying, and it's not just in this area, is finding helpers, finding crew people. Okay. Because um, younger kids, for some reason, don't like to get up at four thirty in the morning and <laughs> go out and run after a hot air balloon. So. Um, we like to offer uh, our crew, you know, we, I, I feed them afterwards, and if the people come out, you know, four or five times, I'd like to give them a ride for free. Okay. And that sort of hopefully gets them involved. And if they come out, you know, they've, there's been some, several of my crew that have gone on and got their own licenses, and that's great for them, but then I lost my crew. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. So, but if anybody's listening out there, would even like to come out and watch anytime, and anytime you see a balloon, if you want to go, you know, we don't want you to drive on a farmer's field or trample his corn or whatever, right. but if you go out and... Um, you know, help pack up or whatever. We're always looking for helpers, and uh, we 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 meet a lot of interesting people. We go to a lot of new places we never would have gone before, okay. and we have a good time. And otherwise, we wouldn't be doing it. And sure. um, uh, if people are interested, and it's something very unique. Not a lot of people do it, uh, and it's it's kind of a cool thing. You get some interesting opportunities and see places you wouldn't see otherwise. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, your helpers, there's probably an age restriction, right? You know, I'm to, not fussy, but you got to drive a vehicle. So. Yeah, okay. okay. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, retired folks, it's great. It's just uh, people that are healthy generally. I mean, the bag, the, the envelope, which is the balloon part, um, that weighs like 200 pounds. So okay. it's like a big, it fold, but it folds up into like a beanbag chair size oh, bag. Wow. So it's not very big, but it is heavy. So... Uh, you know, we have had lots, I always say lots of handles, which is my code words for crew, like grab a handle, let's go. Right. Lots of handles. And, uh, but we, we do attract attention when we land. So normally if there's strangers, we invite them to come and help pack up and join in and they get our snacks afterwards. Okay. And, um, yeah, but, uh, if you, you know, if you have a bad back or bad knees or something, yeah, it's probably not the greatest thing for you, but I have a hydraulic lift on my truck and. You know, I try to make it as easy as yeah, possible. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I try not to have too many landings in the mud fields. Yeah. <laughs> right, mm-hmm. right. Um, uh, I just had a, I just had a brain fart. I was thinking of something. And uh, oh, so you mentioned you've been up to eighty three hundred feet or eighty eight hundred. What's the furthest that you've uh, personally ballooned? Uh, let's see. Wise. I've flown in uh, from West Virginia, no Pennsylvania, West Virginia to Pennsylvania, but that was only like. 15 miles, so okay. that was near the border. Um, the f- longest flight I've had uh, myself, it was a New Year's morning. For some reason, we still fly on New Year's. I don't know why, but uh, and there was a pilot awards, a uh, crew awards, a uh, crew achievement awards program. So the crew was trying to get um, a three-hour chase, which is kind of hard to get a three-hour flight. In, uh, but in the summer, in the winter time, you don't have as much. Uh, 
fuel to burn. I mean, you don't need as much because it's colder. So you can have a three-hour flight. So we did this, and I flew alone. So I was up in uh, Kenesha's area, and we t- I took off, and the crew followed, and I landed in, uh, I forgot the town I ended up, but it was like Erie County somewhere. Okay. And uh, it was a, a three-and-a-half-hour flight, so that was there. I've flown to different places. I've flown in Switzerland by the Alps, oh, and wow. I've been to... Black Hills near Mount Rushmore, and um, they they make they made my balloon in South Dakota. So we visited the factory, okay. and visited the balloon museum while we were out there, and tried to have a little adventure at. Yeah, the time. is there many companies that make balloons, or I, is there kind of specialty, you know, go-to companies in the in the U.S. that you can get them from? There are uh, the company that started it is the company that made mine, Raven Industries, and they they don't make them anymore. Oh they, yeah, okay. They. Uh, um, they were uh, there have been lawsuits, and they actually have other things that they do. They make clothing. They make high altitude research balloons. Okay. Uh, I was wondering if the one from China was from there, <laughs> which could have been, but uh, hopefully not. Uh, but anyway, they they do. Uh, they they used to make the Macy's Day balloons and things okay. like that too. I don't know if they still do that or not. But but they have a lot of government contracts, and they do a lot of things. And what are they made out of? Um, well, the balloons I have are uh, uh, ripstop nylon. So, oh. and there's in between there's colors. Um, and there's like seatbelt material in between those uh, okay. the gores. So theoretically, if you're get a poke a poke uh, by a, a tree or something, it would not you know rupture the whole balloon. Right, right. Um, so uh, they made a ripstop nylon, and uh, there's coating on them to protect them from the uh, ultraviolet rays from the sun. Yeah, because so, nylon does deteriorate over yeah, time. From and we don't want to get it wet, so we don't want to pack it up wet. And there's you know, a lot of people that tarp the balloons, but I've, I've you know do okay here. Uh, anyway, the um, they make they made them. They were the first one to make them, and the first modern hot air balloon was introduced uh, uh, in 1962. And um, the, probably in 1970, there were 300 balloonists in the country. In 1980, there were 3,000. Oh wow! Um, so in about the 80s were probably the heyday for ballooning. So I don't know what the number is now, but there's there it's it's going down unfortunately. And so the company, this Raven company in South Dakota, doesn't make hot air balloons anymore. And there there are a couple. There's one in Ann Arbor, Michigan. There's one in uh, North Carolina. There's one in um, Indiana. One in Illinois. There's there's they don't sell. The, actually, the the technology is uh, the um, what do I want to say? Now, the technology has improved a little bit, but the concept is the same. You add heat, you go up. You let it cool down, right. you go down. That doesn't really change. The burners have been more powerful. The burners that we have, I have two burners, one for each tank. So if one dies or something i have an, another one which would be fine right um and they are about 12 million btus a house furnace is 12 million a house furnace is like what eighty thousand btus yeah. Uh, yeah these are 12 million btus so they do pr- produce a lot of power and heat so which is which is uh, so the technology has improved uh some the fabric has gotten a little stronger usually the first balloons i flew in they would last for about 300 hours and then they'd be in the dumpster and uh, now um it's not unusual for a balloon to get eight, nine hundred hours. Oh, wow. As long as you okay. treat them properly, you don't sure. overheat them, and don't you know land on the rocks and all that. So, right, yeah. right. Um, is it an expensive uh, sport hobby to get into? Like you said, you know, you're always looking for volunteers so they can get in, yeah, virtually for free. Just got to cost their time. But yeah, and I mean, if I was doing it for a living every day, um, you know, I, I would have a higher crew I guess but I mean if it's not something if I'm doing it like 20 times a year or whatever you're not right, right. hiring people for a living so I don't do that but uh, it, balloons um, after 9-11 they, anything aircraft wise went up a lot and so a mm-hmm. balloon now would be about 40,000 maybe 40-50,000 and um, 
there's a, you know you need a, something to carry it in, so you need a trailer or a truck and right. a fan to blow it up with. And your propane is about you know seventy five, eighty dollars a flight. Uh, you got your insurance, right? Uh, so and I come from insurance because I can only imagine what that. Well, <laughs> would yeah, be. I, it, it's it's up there. It's yeah. like maybe a hundred bucks a flight is what it comes down to. Okay. For, and um, uh, so the rates have gone up, but uh, you know it, it's it's still something that not everybody does every day. But it, you know, we do a lot of engagements and mm-hmm. um, hopefully things that make people remember a good good uh, adventure. A lot of bucket list people. Right. 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 Yeah. Um, now you mentioned you've been up on like New Year's, but is there a typical season that you you operate? Is it um... around here? Um, it's when the ground stops getting soggy and okay. and you see the hay being harvested the first time, the first cutting or whatever. So right around the end of May is typically when the leaves come out again. It's sort of the signal that it's time to, to go. Sometimes I've flown in every month, but you know, winter time I hibernate lately. Yeah. And but normally it's like mid to late May and it goes through September. Everyone wants to fly when the leaves are changing in October and we get a lot of wind and rain in October. So if we can get one or two flights off in October we do. But okay. it's not I tell people don't wait until the leaves Yeah, are that changing. would be ideal obviously, yeah. right? With a yeah. but not ideal for actually doing yeah. it. <laughs> there's, a, there's not a lot of balloons in the area. We all know each other. Uh, the guy that I had my first ride with, Carol Tightsworth, he uh, operates the Letchworth Company now a balloon, with his two sons that fly for him. So they have three balloons going there um, every day. I don't think they fly on Sundays. But uh, but anyway, they, that's very popular with the gorge. And I've seen almost every time that I've yeah. been to Letchworth, I've seen them yep. drop down by the Glen Iris yep. there. That's the where falls. they take off from, yeah. They take off from they there? They take off okay. from there, yeah. And they're right near the falls. So that's a nice setup for yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Um, they have a contract with the state every year. They have to have it renewed, and they, they have permission to do it. So they have pretty much have uh, Letchworth locked up. There is another guy down there that flies, and he flies off. Uh, the the grounds, but he he can get the wind, so he can fly over the gorge also. Right. So that's a very nice thing, place to fly. But once you're over that, you're over any other pig farm. So I think people <laughs> like to fly where they live. I think a little. So yeah. and I just you know they, I've flown over the gorge many times. It is nice down there, but it's you know nice in other places too. But uh, there's a guy uh, that flies that lives in Candegua. There's one in Dansville. A couple of people in Dansville that fly, okay. and one up in uh, Williamson, and his son also fly. Um, there's not that many others around here, though. So, is, is there a big? You mentioned Dansville. That just kind of triggered something. Is there a big balloon um, festival no. in the Dansville area? No, no. There used to be. Okay. okay. <laughs> last year was their last year. So oh, they really? they started. Okay. I was I was there for the first forty years of it, oh, and wow. uh, it, it started going downhill a little bit for various reasons. Uh, and then um, last year they said that was their last year. So uh, there's talk about. Um, having other folks uh, have a balloon festival again Labor Day weekend and maybe doing a little smaller. We'll probably be there this Labor Day, not flying from the airport, flying okay. from off-site, but uh, we'll see what happens in the future. It is a really pretty place to fly. Um, they have a little drainage wind in the morning, so morning flights are tend to be a little bit breezy to set up because okay. the wind's coming down like a river, but it's uh, it's really a pretty place to fly. You can fly almost every direction. You do have that prison up north, but then usually we don't fly that, that right. far. So. right. Um, is there any, um, festivals in New York that maybe people can check them out or are they, cause I know the big ones in Albuquerque. Yeah. Right? That's the biggest one. That's we, the la- biggest actually one. last year I applied to fly there for their 50th anniversary. I've, I've been there several times and I never brought my own balloon, but last year I, 
I tried to, and I didn't get in. They had 658 openings, and there were 850-some so uh, applicants. So, but I went anyway, but it was a yeah. decent time. But there's a rally at the Letchworth event. There's a Letchworth event on the Memorial Day weekend. And I think that started years ago to let folks know, hey, we're open for business. Because okay. that's sort of uh, uh, people thinking about that again. But that's, that's uh, maybe like 20, 25 balloons uh, okay. Memorial Day weekend. That's still kind of early in the season, so it's not surprising if a lot of those six scheduled flights are not happening due to the right. weather, but you never know. Um, there's a rally that's been going on for a long time in Wellsville, New York, which yeah, is no. where the Genesee, Genesee River flows through. It's like a little creek there, but it's a good community event. The whole community turns out for it, and they really they have posters every year, and it's a fun, fun event down in Wellsville, and that's usually the third weekend in okay. July. Uh, there's a Speedy Fest in Binghamton that we participate in. That's there's other things going on. There's like you know music music shows and art and all sorts. But they usually have like 15 or 20 balloons there. Where they're usually the first weekend in August. And the biggest one in the Northeast um, is uh, the Adirondack Balloon Festival. That's okay. in Glens Falls. Glens uh, Falls. Okay. That's the third weekend in September. And this year's their 50th anniversary, so they're planning That'll something. That'll be a big so, one, man. Uh, my website usually has the ones where we'll be attending, and that's um, highhopesballoon.com. If anybody wants to check out, it's highhopesballoon.com. I haven't updated it yet. Yeah, this I'll, year, I'll, I'll put that in the yeah. show notes, too, okay. so people can click on it. Okay. Um, are you on social media or anything like that where they um, can see some? I'm on Facebook. Facebook, okay. uh, I did have a High Hopes uh, Twitter, which got stolen. Oh. Uh, so somebody in the Netherlands took it and put a Selena Gomez site on it, and I think she had a song called High Hopes. Okay. So I could not get it back, and Twitter was not responsive. Let's call Elon. Hear Let's... that, Elon? <laughs> but, uh, but anyway, I did have uh, you know the High Hopes, but now somebody else had, had it, or else okay. it was discontinued or whatever, but I never could get it back. So, But anyway, Facebook. Facebook, is, okay. I have Friends of High Hopes Balloon Company on Facebook. So if you want to check out Friends of High Hopes Balloon Company, and people post their pictures of their flights, and we um, try and keep people entertained when things Okay. Happen. Yeah. Okay. Um, is there really anything else that you think our listeners should know about when it comes to ballooning? Obviously, we know we're going to find out how to get a hold of you. We'll put that in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, people want to uh, call. I don't mind anytime. If you have any questions, we'll be happy to talk to you. Um, if you are, would like to come and just check out, see what a balloon uh, crewing is like, you can stand by and watch. You can do something little like hold the fan or do crowd control, or if you want to really get into it and learn about you know which ropes to hold when we inflate, and what right. uh, you know how to you know, what we're doing when we're when why we're doing it. We can go as deep as you want as far as that uh, goes. So I'd encourage you to give a call if you're flexible and like to get out in the early mornings. Early mornings, your feet will get wet because there's dew on the grass. Right, right, right. In the evening, uh, evening you get more little, little more mosquitoes coming out when you land. But other than that, <laughs> uh, I think. Uh, we really like to have a good time with it. Well, wind-wise, those are the best times of day, but those are the best times of day for, you know, nothing prettier than a sunset yeah. or sunrise, yeah. you know. Yeah. So. And I usually don't eat breakfast, but after a flight, it's fun to eat breakfast and then yeah, take a nap yeah, afterwards yeah. and then type or take a nap. But if you get up at, you know, 4.30 in the morning, it's good. Yeah, I've always been, and most of our listeners, obviously, they've seen them, but, you know, I highly encourage you guys, you know, uh, give Greg a call and, you know, schedule a flight or reach out and, Try it out for a day to help out. See if it's. And you're going to come out too. Absolutely. Okay. Good. Absolutely. We'll keep your number handy. What's the uh, um, age requirement for 
passengers. Is there a limit to that? Normally, I'll, I've had people call and say, you know, my infant wants yeah, to fly. Because no, she loves that. a mobile flying above <laughs> her ba- your bassinet. No. Uh, it's uh, Usually I say 10. And I say that ten, because okay. they're not that tall enough to see over the basket mm-hmm. sometimes. And... Um, it is, there's a lot of stimulation. If you got this big, bright, eight-story colorful thing blowing in the wind and you got this loud, roaring propane right, burner right. above your head, there's a lot going on if you're not used to them. I've had younger people that are like uh, children of crew members that have been around balloons, and they know what to expect. They know how it works. And I've taken younger people up, but if you haven't right, been around right, balloon right. before, 10 is about right. And I've, I've had some people that like, oh, I'm going to take my grandson up, and he's six, and he's sharing, okay. And they done, they sat on the you know tank, and they're playing a you know video game. So it's like, well, you could do that in the car, or, you yeah, know, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, you know, whatever. video game. Yeah, so I'd say about 10, and <laughs> okay. I've had somebody, I think it was 98. Um, so as long as there's nice, yeah, calm yeah. days, you can take uh, folks. Well, I, I'm definitely going to check it out, and uh, I'm going to get my hands dirty and give Greg a hand one of these weekends, too, so... Um, I appreciate you taking the time to meet with me and um, look forward to uh, working with you. Well, thank you. Thanks again. I always love talking about balloons, as you can tell. So, uh, yeah, anytime, yeah. On a side note, I walked into his office, lots of balloons. He, his pin collection was there, too. So, definitely passionate about it. And um, yeah, once again, I appreciate you. And uh, thanks for, uh, thanks well, for, thank you. And we'll be listening to all your outdoor adventures. All right. Thanks. thanks. Have a good one. You too.